Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. TRP is a church affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. Our current sermon series is a study on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Even though Paul was addressing theological controversies embedded within a first century Jewish context, we believe that there are some very important modern day applications. Perhaps the most notable is the sufficiency of faith in Jesus for salvation and the unity we find in him. Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. I gotta say this just to get it off my chest. I've been going to the gym here recently. I don't know if you can tell. Uh, but usually I bring my shirt with me so I can set up and get all sweaty and whatever and then put my shirt on. But guys, it's just like it's feeling so tight tonight. I might be a bit limited in my, my movements. If you're new with us, welcome. My name is Josh. It's nice to meet you. It doesn't always start quite like this, but thank you for being here. We, we do know that for some of you, your background and your experience uh, just brings a lot of... Um, wait with you into this space, and we are excited that you're here with us. If this is your first time, or if this is your 20th time, we're glad that you guys have uh, committed to being with us tonight. We've been going through a series on the book of Galatians, and last week in particular, we were looking at Paul, who was having a discussion with Peter, a very public discussion with Peter regarding some of Peter's actions within a community um, setting where Peter has basically become a hypocrite. I'm going to read through this passage and kind of throw in some some details as to why this is important, and then we'll try to figure out um, how this fits into the larger scope of the book of Galatians. This is Galatians chapter 2, and this was the text that we were looking at last week. It says, when Cephas, which is another name for Peter, when Peter came to Antioch. There's two communities at this time in the early church. There's a Jerusalem church, and then about 300 miles north, there's the Antioch church. The Antioch church is where Paul has been stationed and ministering to Gentiles. The Gentiles are non-Jewish people who are hearing the gospel for the very first time. And the whole book of Galatians, it it centers on the relationships between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile or the non-Jewish Christians. So Peter is in Antioch. He's out of his own realm. He's 300 miles to the north in Paul's territory. And as he was there, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. It's not just because Paul thought that Peter was wrong with regard to what's going on in the next couple of verses. It's actually because Paul thinks that Peter, because of his actions, is condemned by God as he is standing in front of him. So Paul wanted to confront Peter in order to defend the gospel. It says, for before certain men came from James, this is um, a group from the south, a group from Jerusalem who has come up to see what Peter is doing. It says that Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. Now, in our context, it doesn't really seem like a big deal, but for an ancient Jewish Christian audience, this was massive. Who you ate with and what you ate at this shared table was of ridiculous significance. 
Some people think that what Peter would have been doing in these meals would be eating things that were non-kosher. Some people think that he might even have been eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. Some people think that just the very fact that Peter was hanging out with these Gentile Christians was against what was appropriate at this time. So this group from the south comes up and begins to pressure Peter. It says, but when they arrived, Peter began to withdraw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. It's difficult to see how the circumcision group and the group from James go together. Most people would say that they're two different groups. The group from James might be a Jewish Christian group that's really conservative, and then the circumcision group might just be um, Jewish people that were seeing what was happening, potentially maybe even putting Peter's life on the line. And Paul continues, the other Jews joined Peter in his hypocrisy. In this context, a hypocrite is one who was a stage actor, one who had this like fake face that they would wear to play a, a role in a drama. But as it has in our context here, there was really negative connotations. And what Paul is saying about Peter is that he was playing the role of the hypocrite. And that wasn't just the worst part. What was even worse was he was influencing other people to go with him. It says, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas was Paul's friend. And basically, in this moment, Paul is the only one left that is preaching this gospel of inclusion, this gospel that has a shared table with Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians and everyone surrounding uh, this table celebrating Jesus because of what he has done. And now Peter is starting to back away, and Barnabas is starting to back away, and all we have left is Paul. He says, when I saw that, uh, that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, Paul says to Peter in front of everyone, Peter, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. Peter, you've been eating all this food that's not kosher. You've been sitting with all these Gentile people. You've been going against the trends and the traditions of, of the people in which you grew up. How is it then that you can now force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Basically, at the core of this book, and this is going to be really important for our work tonight, at the core of this book is circumcision. At the core of this book is what does a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, have to do to be included in the family of followers of Jesus? There was two groups that were basically vying for position here especially as Paul is writing to his churches in Galatia. Paul had come on the scene and he had planted these churches and he had preached this gospel that Jesus was enough. Because of what Jesus has done in his death and his resurrection, everything has changed. And now all we have to do, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile, it doesn't matter, all you have to do is trust in Jesus and his perfect work that has been wrought on our behalf. And as Paul leaves these people and kind of helps them to become a church and then goes to plant other church. There was a group of Jewish Christian missionaries that show up and say, yeah, Paul didn't know what he's talking about. Jesus is great, but you've got to get circumcised. Jesus is great, but you've got to eat the right food with the right people. Jesus is great, but you've got to observe the Sabbath. So for these Jewish Christian missionaries, it wasn't just Jesus. It wasn't that Jesus was enough. It was a Jesus plus gospel. It was a Jesus plus circumcision, a Jesus plus food laws, a Jesus plus Sabbath laws, all these things. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. 
What's happened through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has fundamentally changed everything. Galatian churches do not buy into this. And so for two chapters, he has been arguing that his gospel has come from God himself, that God has revealed himself to Paul and said, this is the message that you should preach, that Jesus is enough that he didn't go and get it from the Jerusalem church. He didn't go and get it from Peter, that he uh, is, an, is an authority figure. He's an apostle. He's one that's been entrusted with this gospel. And this is what Paul is arguing to these Galatian Christians. And he's retelling these stories about the time when he went to oppose Peter to his face and the things that he said. And our text for this evening, I'll warn you ahead of time, it is dense. Our text for this evening, though, has at its very core, the beautiful good news of Jesus. I am excited about this text. This is Galatians chapter two, beginning in verse 15. And understand, um, some people would say that this is Paul continuing to talk to Peter. Other people would actually say, this is interesting, because we don't have any sort of recognition in the book of Galatians where Peter says, oh yeah, Paul, you're right. They actually think that it was probably the case that Paul lost this debate, and this was the words that he would have said given the right opportunity. You ever have those moments when you're in class or you're on Facebook and you see something, you're like, and then two hours later, you're like, that's it, or you're sitting in your bed at night, and you're like, that's what I should have said. It's probably not the case where you know you should have said that at all. I'm pretty sure there's a Seinfeld episode about this where George comes back through the the door, I'm looking at my resident Seinfeld expert, and I've, I've come to note that most college students don't know about Seinfeld anymore, which kind of breaks my heart, but whatever. This is Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. It says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. The word of God for the people of God. So as I mentioned, this is a really dense theological uh, set of text here. One scholar, Richard B. Hayes, says this. He says, preaching on this passage can be difficult because Paul's account of his passionate response to Peter, which you see here he actually thinks includes this text that we just read tonight, is compressed into an unusually dense discourse, prefiguring the major themes of the remainder of Galatians. The themes are weighty. And Paul sketches them so concisely that the congregation, that's you, may struggle to grasp what he is saying. Now, Richard B. Hayes knows a lot of things, but he does not know the intellectual capacity of the Restoration Project. Can I get an amen? I think that we can do some work here with this text and understand what is going on. Thank you very much. 
But other commentators seem to pile on here. Scott McKnight says the exegesis, which basically means how we interpret or how we um, approach this passage, trying to understand what it means. The exegesis of verses 15 through 21 is fraught with difficulties, both in logic and in meaning. And one more, this is J.L. Martin. He says Galatians 2.16 is one of the most tightly concentrated theological statements in all of Paul's letters. And I don't know about you, but I get giddy when I see that kind of stuff. This is dense theological truths here about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is why we are in this place. Let's unpack it. Okay, so in this passage, what we have here is at its very core, we have the gospel. Now, I have to pause here because when we hear this, we bring a lot of baggage to this discussion. And sometimes I've been blamed or at least accused of bringing my own past stuff to the table when I talk about this. But I grew up in a very conservative setting. My lovely parents in the back here. I went to church every week on Sunday and Wednesday. I went to Christian school, which was very conservative. The way that we understood the gospel was sort of like, um, not in any way to do a disservice to this because I'm standing here because of my experience and I'm standing here because of the, the church that I went to and the school that I went to and these sorts of things. But the way that the gospel was presented, it was often presented in a, you should believe this or else sort of way. It was presented like Jesus gives you the opportunity not really to live life better here and now, not really to bring heaven to earth, not really to become a part of God's beautiful project of restoration, not really to have much to do here and now. But when you die at some point, then you'll get to go to heaven, which means you can play baseball all you want and eat pizza. And it really has nothing to do with Jesus anyway. You know, that's kind of how we, we thought about these things back in the day. It was like, do this or else something bad's going to happen to you at some point in the future. And when I talk about the gospel here, what I've come to learn over the last three or four or even five years, it's so different than that. This is not going to be, we're not going to uh, reach a climax tonight where I say, bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want to go to heaven, then raise your hand. We're not going to go there tonight. What I'm going to invite you into is a move of God started with the death and resurrection of Jesus, where we become participants in what God is doing in this place here and now, where we become people that are united with Christ in this mission to bring the kingdom to earth, where we fight for reconciliation and restoration and justice, where we become the image of Jesus tangibly in people's lives, love, forgiveness, mercy, where we live out those qualities because Jesus has fundamentally changed everything. And this is what Paul is unpacking in a very volatile moment in, in history where he has the Jewish Christians on one side that say, it has to be like this. It has to be like everything we've ever heard. And the Gentiles over here struggling to figure out what in the world is going on. And what Paul is saying to them is it's totally different. It's just Jesus. It's just believing in him. It's just partnering with him. It's just following him. You'll be okay. Even if you're not circumcised. And the hard work for us is to get back into that context because when we think about circumcision, as we are often known to do, it has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with you have a baby boy and you have to make a decision. Are we going to circumcise or are we not going to circumcise? And beyond that, it doesn't really go too much farther unless you ride by SU and you see the people in the white jumpsuits with the bloodstains around their crotch that are protesting. Um, no, no, okay, all right, we're going to move on. That for, so for Paul, this is about the gospel. 
namely, who are God's true people, and on what basis are these people brought into the family. This is what Paul is addressing in a very specific and culturally embedded moment that has to do with Jewish identity markers. N.T. Wright says that Paul's head-on clash with Peter in this passage in Antioch was about Christian identity, his passionate appeal to the Galatians, to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish audience is about their Christian identity so these people can begin to understand who they are and live in light of it. And tonight, I am convinced that many of us need to be reminded who we are so that we can live in light of it as well. So even though Paul is talking first century Jewish Christian stuff, there's also a lot of things that we need to gain. This is what Paul says. He says, we who were Jews by birth, and what Paul is doing in this passage, he's constructing an argument that Peter and these other conservative Jewish Christians would, would get on board with. He's starting to, to reach common ground with them, where they would, of course, identify that there's a difference between people who are Jews by birth and sinful Gentiles. What's going on in this language here is Paul is saying there's a difference between Jews who are born into this covenant family who are circumcised on the eighth day, who are brought into this people of God versus the Gentiles who don't have the law, who haven't been circumcised, who haven't eaten the right foods, who haven't become a part of God's family unless they go through all these Jewish rites and rituals. Does that make sense? Paul is, is giving us a contrast between these two people groups. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Martin is right. This is a dense passage because in this passage, we have three things that are of supreme significance. The first thing is, what the heck is justification? What the heck is Paul talking about when he's, he's going back and forth saying, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not justified. This is legal terminology of the, of the time. And what Paul is saying is, this is how God declares one to be righteous. And that doesn't mean moral. It means how God declares one to be in. How God declares one to be part of the family. We know, we who are Jews by birth and not the sinful Gentiles because they are by default outside of the bounds of the covenant, we know that a person is not justified or declared right or brought into the family by the works of the law. And this is where Paul is going to start constructing an argument that might step on some toes. We know that it's not that, but we know that it's by faith in Jesus Christ. Now remember, he's talking to Peter. He's talking to Jewish Christians, and he's trying to bring these two things together about what are these works of the law and how does that go together with Jesus. Now look at this. What we have usually been taught is that there is um, a contrast between works and faith. What we have been taught is that in the first century Jewish context, most Jews of the time were legalistic. They were focused on law keeping. They were in a um, merit-based salvation system where they had to earn their way in. It was all about keeping the law. It was about Jewish legalism. It was, it was a works-based salvation. And in contrast to that, what Paul is saying is, no, 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 no. It's not about legalism. It's about faith specifically the faith that we have. It's about our belief in Jesus. It's about following Jesus. It's about grace. 
How we usually approach this passage is what Paul is doing is he's calling out these two different things, a works-based system based on law-keeping and a grace-based system based on Jesus. And this is why this passage is so cool and so theologically dense and people write book upon book upon book about this passage trying to figure out what do the works of the law actually mean and what does this faith actually mean. And there's a couple of ways that people have gone about this. The first thing that most people would do now in light of all sorts of extra biblical evidence, say extra biblical evidence, that is edifying to hear you say that. It's, it's reading other Jewish texts of this time. Most people would say now that this idea of legalistic Jewish people, it's sort of a caricature. It's not necessarily the best way to describe this people. They were a covenant people. And the way that covenant happens is God says, I want you. That by its very nature is a grace-based system where God says, you're my people. I will be your God and you will be my people, as it says even throughout the whole Old Testament. So when people come to this passage, they say it's not about Paul contrasting Jewish legalism and faith. It's something different. And in light of what we've been looking at over the last four weeks, it seems like what Paul is saying is we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person cannot be justified, cannot be deemed uh, to be right or to be in the family. They cannot be declared to be righteous, not just based on law keeping, but based on circumcision, based on Jewish identity markers where you sit at the table with the right people and you eat the right food. This is what Paul is, has been arguing about the entire time. And they would say that, in fact, this is actually a grace-based system. So Paul is seemingly contrasting this idea of, is it about circumcision and is it about the food that you eat? And contrasting that not with the way that we believe, now stay with me on this, but it's actually about the faithfulness of Jesus. We are not justified by the circumcision that we have or the food that we eat or the people that we eat that with. We are justified. We are declared righteous because of the faithful work that Jesus has done on our behalf. It's about Jesus' death and his resurrection, which is the ultimate grace-based salvation, because this is something that we cannot do for ourselves. This is a story about how Jesus has shown up into human history and taken on the penalty of our sins and has died a death to put sin and death to death so that we can now live differently so that everything can be changed. What Paul is contrasting is circumcision, the old way, and Jesus the one who has died and resurrected for us. Now, you can see here how this, it looks a little bit different. It says, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, but we know that a person is not declared righteous by the works of the Jewish law, by circumcision, by where you eat food, by who you eat food with, but through the faithfulness of Jesus, the Messiah. Just hear that last phrase. We are justified by the faithfulness of Jesus, the King who has done the work for us that we cannot do for ourselves and has fundamentally changed everything. Now, before you guys go crazy, because I know you're sitting here and if you're tracking with me, you're thinking like, what is this guy doing? Wait a second. In the very next verse, Paul makes you feel a little bit more at ease because he says, this is why we too believe 
in the Messiah, Jesus. This is why we believe in Jesus. There is this faith component that we have. I'm not taking that away from us. But sometimes we have based our salvation on what we believe and not on what Jesus has done. Do you see the difference there? We base our salvation on the rightness that we have doctrinally. We base our salvation on believing the right things when what Paul is saying is like, no, your salvation is based on what the faithful Jesus has done in his death and his resurrection for you. So Paul is saying, this is why we too believed in the Messiah Jesus, so that we might be declared righteous on the basis, not of our belief, not on the basis of anything that we bring to the table, but we are declared righteous because of what Jesus has done for us by the Messiah's faithfulness and not on the basis of being circumcised. Paul is going for it. And he is saying, you do not get it, Peter. Everything has changed. Stop talking about circumcision. Stop freaking out about what food we're eating. Go back to eating the baby back ribs and the shrimp scampi. It's fine because Jesus has changed everything. And we say a big amen because we like baby back ribs and shrimp scampi. <laughs> we are declared righteous on the basis of the Messiah's faithfulness, not on the things that we do. This is Paul's gospel. This is not what we got as kids at the Christian school. This is not what we got when the lights were low and the altar call was raised up. This is not the gospel that we were usually taught. We were not taught to celebrate the faithfulness of Jesus. We were taught to depend on the right beliefs that we have regarding Jesus. I think there's an important difference there. And for Paul, this is his gospel. And he goes back to these other texts, even in, earlier in this book where he says, Jesus, he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. He showed up to do what we couldn't do to allow us to have life, not later, but here and now taking us out of this present evil age so that we could be a different image of his, his life and his love to the world around us. That's the gospel. And this is what Paul is preaching. Gentile Christians, Jewish Christians, it doesn't matter. Jesus has changed everything and you get to be a part of it now, regardless of whether you're circumcised. You get to be a part of it here and now. He goes back to Romans saying, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is his gospel. When we did not do anything to deserve it, Jesus took our shame and our guilt and nailed it to the cross. He put it to death. And not only our individual sins, but he changes the whole fabric of the world by now allowing glimpses of heaven to come down and the kingdom to be present. And he invites us to do that work with him. So when you go down the street, and you hang out with those kids at the garden, when you go over to Hebron and you hang out with those kids at Epoch, when you have those rich conversations with your college roommates, when you have those bold risk-taking moments where you go on a missions trip to Houston or to Florida to help rebuild things, when you, when you go and you do this stuff, when you stick your neck out for somebody that everyone else is ostracizing and putting out and you say, maybe there's a seat at the table for you, we are doing the gospel work that Paul is inviting us into. That's what this book is all about. And it all centers around circumcision. Who knew, right? Paul is saying that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and this is it. We are trusting not in our belief. And I do not want to take away from the importance of our belief, but we are trusting 
which is different than this component of our beliefs. We are actively trusting in Jesus. I do not believe that when we show up, and this is pure speculation, people. I haven't died, so I don't know what's gonna happen. And I'm a real nerd, so I might actually enjoy if this did happen. But I don't think that we're gonna die, and then God's gonna give us a doctrinal test that's a scan trying like, all right, let's see what you got. What are your thoughts on uh, infralapsarianism versus superlapsarianism? Go ahead. You guys are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Exactly. It is a thing. But like, that, I don't believe that. The question might be more geared, did you trust my son? Did you live a life that, that went about his work on earth? Were you about the things that he was about? Did you care about justice and reconciliation? The person that hurt you in your life, did you ever try to forgive them? The people that have written you off, were you able to get beyond that? Because I kept telling you that like you were, you were enough and that I loved you. Did you allow that to sink in? Or did you live a life of bitterness? These are, I think these, these are more likely sorts of questions that we might face, not what's your view on this versus that. Even like this stuff, what's your view on the new perspective of Paul versus the old perspective of Paul? I don't think that's gonna be on there. But what we're gonna hear is, did you trust, not in the way that you believed or the rightness of your belief, but did you trust in the supreme act of faithfulness that my son did on your behalf? Did you trust that his death and his resurrection meant something for your sins and for the sake of the world? Did you trust that I was about something good here and now? And did you do anything about that? Did you act with me? Did you participate with me in that? This seems to be what Paul is getting at. At its core, the gospel of Paul is that in and through Jesus, everything has changed. Every barrier has been broken down. And for him, the barrier was Jewish Christian versus Gentile Christian. Who gets to sit at the table? For us, it might look a little bit different because that doesn't really seem to speak to our context. But in and through Jesus, everything has changed. And God is making the world right through his son. That is good news. Don't think that good news is you get to go to heaven when you die at some point. I think that good news is what is happening here and now through Jesus. Now, don't mishear me. Spending eternity with Jesus is going to be great. I do believe that we're going to play a lot of baseball, eat a lot of pizza, okay? And Jesus will be the all-time pitcher, right? <laughs> He's got a nasty curve. But God is making the world right and that happens here and now, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of disaster. And we get to be the image bearers of that. Richard Hayes again says, what Jesus has done for us is not merely to enable us to believe and thereby find individual forgiveness of sins. Guys, that's important. There is maybe nothing more important than the fact that we are made right through Christ and that we have forgiveness. But instead, he wants to go beyond that and say that Jesus, his faithful death, has created a whole new world and liberated us from bondage to powers that once held us captive. Jesus has changed everything. He continues on. I'm going to hustle through this here. Um, it says, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? You see, some people, because of Paul's gospel, had accused him of being an antinomian, like an anti-law person. But this isn't what Paul is saying. In fact, he says, absolutely not. He says, meganoita. Say, meganoita. 
That's some Greek for you. That's like the strongest denunciation in, in Greek that you can have. It'd be like a real strong health, no? I was just trying to shock value, you know? Absolutely not, he says. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. He's not saying that trusting in Jesus makes us not care about the law. It's different. He's saying trusting in Jesus doesn't mean that we have to be circumcised or eat the right foods anymore. It's totally different. And then he says this, for through the law, I died to the law. Nobody really knows what the heck Paul's talking about here. But I think he's saying that there's been a shift from following the law to not following the law now. He's dead to the law so that he can now live for God. And this is the classic text that you've always heard. And hopefully this beautiful context around it makes it even more meaningful to you. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I am dead to the law. It doesn't hold me anymore. It's not about where you're cut and it's not about what you're eating. It's about Jesus. And when Jesus died, I died with him. And when Jesus rose, I rose with him. And now what you see in front of you here and now in this beautiful tight shirt because of my Planet Fitness membership and all the hard work I've been doing, what you see hopefully is not me, but you see Christ in me. And that does not mean that I cease to be a person. It means that my vocation has changed now where I have been crucified to my old self. And now I am a, a, an image bearer of Jesus. And Jesus lives in and through me. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. I don't think that I live this out in the most beautiful way, but I had a conversation with someone the other day where they were saying, is it possible to believe the right things and not live a transformed life? Paul would say, no. If you die with Christ, Christ lives in you. You cease to be who you were, and now you are an image bearer of Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Again, Richard Hayes, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. He's, he's, I know, okay. But he says, Paul is describing the experience of having his former life world terminated and entering a new sphere of reality where he is no longer in charge. We don't talk about this when we talk about the gospel. It's not this like uh, apocalyptic sort of thing where you enter into a new phase of the world. It's so much more individualistic and, and self-centered. But what Jesus has done is fundamentally transforming everything where we become part of this new sphere of reality. We are no longer in charge. This is not merely a matter of having sins forgiven. Instead, it's a matter of being transformed for service. The gospel is not just about forgiveness of sins. Notice, I said just. It's not just about that. But once that happens, we are invited into the most beautiful service that we could offer the king of the universe. Our lives should be transformed if we get it. The life that I now live, Paul says, in the flesh, I live within the faithfulness of the Son of God. Your translation might say, I live within the faith uh, uh, or, or in the faith that I have in the Son of God. And there's different ways you can translate that. And I think that what he's getting at is something a bit different. I live within what Jesus has done for me and for us and for the world because he loved me and he gave himself for me. Sit with that for two seconds. I have no idea what you've brought with you into this space. 
I do know that just judging on the room and the numbers and, and statistics, I know that most of you don't really give two rips about the new perspective on Paul, okay? But I do know that we bring all kinds of baggage with us, that we are beat up and we are pushed down and that the world takes something from us. And if we can sit and rest in this, knowing that we now live in the beautiful perfection of the faithful work of Jesus and that he loved us and that he gave himself for us because we matter, because we have a job to do, because he wants to be in communion with us, because he wants to be a part of us, because he wants us to die so that he can live in and through us. When you're having those days that are down and you remember this, that Jesus in his faithful act of death and resurrection, that he did that for us and that he loves us. I hope that that's enough to get us through those difficult hours. And I hope that that's enough to move us into a sense of purpose and calling and life. Because Jesus did not just die for the sake of it. He died out of love and faithfulness for us. This is Paul's gospel of transformation. The question about believing the right things and not living, that's a, it's a silly question. But I think it's a poignant one for us. Are we transformed? Is Jesus living in and through us? Can we say that it's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives within me? Can we say that we're now part of this, this new epic, this new creation, this newness that Jesus has brought? Can we say that we're participating with him in the fundamental change of the world and this fight for restoration? Can we say that? Paul would want to champion again. It's Jesus trusting him and following him and understanding the work that he did that we cannot do and don't lose sight of that. But ask yourself if that really has been something that has grabbed you by your heart and transformed you to the very core of your being. Who are God's true people? For Paul, he would say anyone who is in Christ, anyone who is trusting in the perfect and faithful work of Jesus. And on what basis are these people brought into the family? Well, I can tell you this. It's not about circumcision. And it's not about food laws, and it's not about Sabbath. On what basis? The faithful work of Jesus that he did because he loved us, because he gave himself for us. Friends, we have always struggled with an altar call here, and I think that's my own baggage. I know that. But what I would like to happen in these next few moments as we transition into a time of uh, communion, perhaps this will be your day. Perhaps this will be your day when you plant a real flag in the ground and you say, I will trust in the beautiful and perfect faithful work of Jesus. And I will begin to move and live in light of this new creation.
I will begin to believe perhaps that I have been afforded forgiveness and that I have a seat at the table that has only been purchased for me through Jesus and his death and his resurrection. Perhaps tonight, that's something where you can begin to move, where you can begin to trust this gospel that Paul is trying to give to us, where we see at this table, it's a, it's a variety of people that don't look like us and think like us and act like us, but we all have this one thing in common. We trust in the work that Jesus has done for us that we cannot do for ourselves. We trust in the grace of God and we trust in the faithfulness of Jesus and the work that he did out of his love for us and out of his sacrifice for us. My hope tonight is that for the people in the room that have become jaded or the people in the room that have just gone through the routines, that perhaps tonight we begin to move away from that, understanding who we are, living in light of our calling and living as image bearers of Jesus to become that to the world where we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And for the rest of you that maybe you've been on the fence, I think this might be your moment where you say tonight, I'm in, I'm about it, as the kids might say where you begin to move and you begin to understand that Jesus is offering us something so much more rich than just heaven. He's allowing us to become agents who bring heaven to earth because we experience it here and now through him. I don't know what it is you've brought with you into this space, but I hope tonight that as you hear these words from the apostle Paul, you begin to be compelled to move with purpose towards Jesus. Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.